Good evening and welcome to Matters of Life. I'm John Lucier, and I'd like to thank each and every one of you for joining us on this episode. You know, when the Lord gives us, when He speaks to us, gives us a message, it is for our blessing and our benefit. It's for guidance and correction and reproof and, if you will, refining. So we can deal with the things in our lives before we reap what we've sown. There's a often quoted scripture that says, God is not mocked. What a man sows, that he will also reap. And when the Lord was talking to me about this episode, he was saying that there are many that are, if you will, on the cusp, for lack of a better way to phrase it, that are attempting to put themselves in a a place or a position that they're not meant to be in. And yes, that, that does also have to do with judging. So it was a warning for each of us to examine ourselves and ensure that we're not stepping over into a place that we're not meant to be in so that we don't experience the fruit of that in our own lives. So this morning, we're going, or this evening, excuse me, I'll get my time correct. <laughs> this evening, we're going to look at 1 Samuel, and we're going to start in chapter 15. And we're going to look at Saul and David. Now in chapter 15, the first part of that chapter, it talks about Saul and if you will, his disobedience. He received instructions from the Lord as to what he should do with Amalek and King Agag. But he didn't was not obedient to the Lord. But in verse beginning in verse 24, it says this. After Samuel comes and arrives, and Samuel asks the question, Why do I hear this the bleeding of sheep? And tells him. Doesn't the Lord uh, delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices, but even more so in obeying the voice of the Lord? Now, verse 24 says, Then Saul said to Samuel, I have sinned. I have indeed transgressed the command of the Lord and your words, because I feared the people and listened to their voice. Now, therefore, please pardon my sin and return with me that I may worship the Lord. But Samuel said to Saul, I will not return with you, for you have rejected the word of the Lord, and the Lord has rejected you from being king over Israel. As Samuel turned to go, Saul seized the edge of his robe, and it tore. So Samuel said to him, The Lord has torn the kingdom of Israel from you today, and has given it to your neighbor who is better than you. Also, the glory of Israel will not lie or change his mind, for he is not a man that he should change his mind. Then he said, I have sinned, but please honor me now before the elders of my people and before Israel, and go back with me that I may worship the Lord your God. So Samuel went back following Saul, and Saul worshiped the Lord. Now we'll we'll pause there, because in there is a lot of what we're going to discuss. If we notice, 
Yes, Saul sinned. And the Lord made his ruling over the situation. And he said that he was, uh, I'm going to paraphrase it, but no longer the king over Israel. He's been rejected from being king over Israel. And not only that, he made it very clear after Saul attempted to pull at Samuel's cloak or robe. And it says, the Lord has torn the kingdom of Israel from you today. In that moment, that instant, the kingdom was torn. Now, as, a, as the Lord brought me to this, he was expressing to me his people and his people even here in the United States that have searched and sought the Lord for justice, that want the Lord to move, but have become weary, that are asking the question, how long, Lord? How long before you move? And I bring that because it starts there in what we just read. But if we really look at, at this story, <clears throat> and this, the, these series of events in Scripture concerning Saul, we know that in the next chapter, the Lord sends Samuel, that's, cha- that's 1 Samuel chapter 16, the Lord sends Samuel to Bethlehem to anoint David as king. Now Samuel is afraid. He's afraid why? Because this individual, Saul, has shown who he truly is. He's shown that he does not desire a relationship with the Lord, but he had turned his back on the Lord. Saul was fine with Samuel. He had no problems with him as long as Samuel was doing what Saul wanted. But as soon as Saul departed from obedience to the Lord, there was an issue. So much so that Samuel explained his fear with, to the Lord. And it even says in the chapter, Saul will kill me. Now the Lord cleared away. And for him to go do and be obedient to what the Lord had told him to do. And ultimately David was anointed. And some scholars and historians put a range that it could have been as early as, say, 15, 16 years old that David was anointed to be king. But if we go to Second Samuel chapter 5, that's when you actually see David crowned king of Israel not just anointed. And it says very plainly that David was 30 years old when he was crowned king. That's a a pretty significant span of time. And a lot of events happen in there. And yes, David ministered to Saul even after he was anointed to be king in the kingdom. He ministered to him in a number of different ways. He was a warrior for him. He did like wondrous exploits, first and foremost for the Lord, but with Saul as king. 
And it's easy to go, hey, look. But the Lord said he tore the kingdom from Saul. Yes, he did. And in the Lord, his thoughts and his ways concerning was that it was done that day. And this should be familiar with those that study scripture. What does it say about our Lord and Savior? In Revelations 13, it says that he was the lamb slain before the foundation of the earth. So before the earth was even formed, it was already considered done. But yet there was still time. And before the earth was formed, there was no Adam and woman to sin. Yet the Lord was already that Passover or sacrificial lamb. Long before we even knew we had need of a Lord and Savior, the job was already done. It was already complete. It lacked nothing. So why then would the Lord give so much time to Saul, remaining in the position as king? And then, and then more so, what can we learn from that as it pertains to our life? And I, and I say that because, yes, many have, for lack of a better way to phrase it, grown weary. But they've become tired and they're asking, Lord, how long before you move? Before you bring about your judgment and restoration to us as a people, as a nation? But I want us to, to continue as in what the Lord was showing us or showing me in this about our role and putting us in our, our rightful place and position, our rightful understanding. In 1 Samuel chapter 24, David has now been on the run for some time. And Saul had taken 3,000 of his choices, chosen men to go hunt David and his men down. And it says that in verse 3, he came to the sheepfolds on the way where there was a cave. Saul went in to relieve himself. Now David and his men were sitting in the inner recesses of the cave. And the men said, or the men of David said to him, Behold, this is the day which the Lord said to you, Behold, I am about to give your enemy into your hand, and you shall do to him as it seems good to you. Then David arose and cut off the edge of Saul's robe secretly. And it came about afterward that David's conscience bothered him because he had cut off the edge of Saul's robe. So he said to his men, Far be it from me because of the Lord that I should do this thing to my Lord, the Lord's anointed, to stretch out my hand against him, since he is the Lord's anointed. And he, David, persuaded his men with these words and did not allow them to rise up against Saul. And Saul arose, left the cave, and went on his way. But wait, it doesn't stop there. He further then has a conversation with Saul. And, he, and this is in verse 10. He said, Behold, this day your eyes have seen that the Lord had given you today into my hand in the cave, and some said to kill you, but my eye had pity on you, 
And I said, I will not stretch out my hand against my Lord, for he is the Lord's anointed. Now my father, see, indeed, the edge of your robe is in my hand, or in my hand, excuse me. For in that I cut off the edge of your robe and did not kill you, no one perceived that there is no evil or rebellion in my hands, and I have not sinned against you, though you are lying in wait for my life to take it. May the Lord judge between you and me, and may the Lord avenge me on you, but my hand shall not be against you. As the proverb of the ancients says, Out of the wicked comes forth wickedness, but my hand shall not be against you. After whom has the king of Israel come out? Whom are you pursuing? A dead dog? A single flea? The Lord therefore be judge and decide between you and me. And may he see and plead my cause and deliver me from your hand. Now, it's interesting in this, and this is what we must understand. Why didn't David raise his hand? against Saul. And yes, he says he's the Lord's anointed. But there is more to it than that. And it's not just anointed as a king. Because we can read throughout scripture where, where even in the New Testament and, and John's epistles, the apostle John, he says, but you have an anointing from the Holy One. Now, let's understand that because that's all those that are in the Lord. Now, the Lord has a destiny track for every person. But each person has to make a choice of whether they will walk that out in faith with the Lord, serving him, that he may be glorified. Saul had a destiny track for his life, but he chose to depart. He did not walk it out in full. He did not complete it. Will we complete ours? So that's, that's one. But two, where and what is David doing? Why didn't he reach his hand out against him? Not just for the anointing part. He understood another spiritual law. And that is this. And we talked about it earlier. What a man sows, that he will also reap. David refrained from stepping over his his rightful place, and into the seat, the judgment seat, if you will, acting as judge. Now, why did the Lord give time? And that's for a number of reasons. Why did he give Saul time? Why didn't he just smite him there? And the answer is throughout Scripture. One, because God is love. He says so even in the Ten Commandments, that he is compassionate and merciful, full of loving kindness. He's also just. And it's the same thing he says to Moses in Exodus 34. He, the Lord, describes himself. It's his nature, his character, and his attributes. It also talks about his omnipotence, omniscience, his sovereignty and everything that encompasses the Lord. So let's also understand this. If we look at Ezekiel 33, 
he talks to Ezekiel about being a watchman and how he's going to give messages. The Lord is going to give Ezekiel messages and how he says, hey, if you don't give the message that I send and that person dies, their blood's on your head. But if you give it to them and they repent, then if anything that happens is on them because of obedience. But the Lord also says this. I'll begin in verse 7. Now as for you, son of man, I have appointed you a watchman for the house of Israel. So you will hear a message from my mouth and when, and give them warning from me. When I say to the wicked, O wicked man, you will surely die. And you do not speak to warn the wicked from his way. And that wicked man shall die in his iniquity, but his blood I will require from your hand. But if you on your part warn a wicked man to turn from his way, and he does not turn from his way, he will die in his iniquity. But you have delivered your life. Now it's for you, son of man, say to the house of Israel, Thus you have spoken, surely our transgression and our sins are upon us, and we are rotting away in them. How then can we survive? Say to them, As I live, declares the Lord God, I take no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but rather that the wicked turn from his way and live. Turn back, turn back from your evil ways. Why then will you die, O house of Israel? And he says something similar about the righteous man. If a righteous man thinks that he is, his righteousness has saved him and then commits iniquity, the righteous deeds are forgotten. He also must repent. But understand that about the Lord. He takes no pleasure in the death of the wicked. Other scripture says he wills that none should perish. So let's, let's go back and examine Actually, there's a couple more places to go to. Let's look at John chapter 12. We're going to begin at verse 44. It says, And Jesus cried out and said, He who believes in me does not, or he who believes in me does not believe in me, but in him who sent me. He who sees me sees the one who sent me. I have come as light into the world so that everyone who believes in me will not remain in darkness. If anyone hears my sayings and does not keep them, I do not judge him, for I did not come to judge the world, but to save the world. And he who rejects me and does not receive my sayings has one who judges him. The word I spoke is what will judge him at the last day. For I did not speak on my own initiative, but the Father himself who sent me has given me a commandment as to what to say, and what to speak. I know that his commandment is eternal life. Therefore, the things I speak, I speak just as the Father told me. The Lord, who is our righteous judge, is saying, I did not come to judge. Other, other translations say, but if I do judge, I judge rightly. Why? Because he was saying what the Father said doing what the Father did. Only as he was commanded did he say, did he speak nothing of his own initiative. Now, if we go back to this, why did the Lord give time 
to Saul? And why did David not step into that place of judgment? Even though he was oppressed, even though he was hunted down, why didn't David grow weary? And that is because he understood what the Lord was doing. Yes, while the Lord had already rejected Saul as king, he had already torn the kingdom from him. He was giving Saul time to repent, time to turn back to the Lord. Not bringing about his judgment before the time. And actually you see that, that that time matters. You see it in a number of places, but we can even go to Revelation 6. And looking at the fifth seal, the seal of the martyrs, which begins in Revelation 6, 9. It says, when the lamb broke the fifth seal, I saw underneath the altar the souls of those who had been slain because of the word of God and because of the testimony which they had maintained. And they cried out with a loud voice saying, how long, O Lord, holy and true, will you refrain from judging and avenging our blood on those who dwell on the earth. And there was given to each of them a white robe, and they were told that they should rest for a little while longer, until the number of their fellow servants and their brethren who were to be killed, even as they had been, would be completed also. So let's understand that. These are those that have already been slaughtered for the word of God for the testimony that they lived out for the Lord. And they are there petitioning the Lord, asking for him to bring, if you will, judgment, vindication. And they are told that they should rest a little while longer. It wasn't time yet. It wasn't time for them or for those on the earth to be judged yet. But the Lord, again, wills that none should perish and was giving time for them to turn. He, the Lord also says the same thing about Jezebel, that he had given Jezebel time to repent, but she would not. She did not want to. She resisted repenting. And that's the same thing we end up seeing in the life of Saul. In chapter 28, Saul goes and sees a spiritist, a, a medium, a spirit medium. And he asks her to call up Samuel. And in a verse, as a, this is 1 Samuel chapter 28, beginning of verse 15, says, Then Samuel said to Saul, Why have you disturbed me by bringing me up? And Saul answered, I am greatly distressed, for the Philistines are waging war against me, and God has departed from me and no longer answers me, either through prophets or by dreams. Therefore I have called you that you 
make, make known to me what I should do. Samuel said, Why then do you ask me, since the Lord has departed from you and has become your adversary? The Lord has done accordingly as he spoke through me, for the Lord has torn the kingdom out of your hand and given it to your neighbor, to David. As you did not obey the Lord and did not execute his fierce wrath, fierce wrath on Amalek, so the Lord has done this thing to you this day. Moreover, the Lord will also give Israel along with you into the hands of the Philistines. Therefore, tomorrow you and your sons will be with me. Indeed, the Lord will give over the army of Israel into the hands of the Philistines. And what did the Lord say there? The same thing he said initially. That he had torn the kingdom out of his hand. Now, let's go to 1 Chronicles chapter 10. And it says about Saul, this in verse 13. So Saul died for his trespass, which he committed against the Lord, because of the word of the Lord, which he did not keep, and also because he asked counsel of a medium, making inquiry of it, and did not inquire of the Lord. Therefore, he killed him and turned the kingdom to David, the son of Jesse. Now, the Lord turns us over to our own lust, right? What have we said? A man re- what a man reaps, he will sow. Saul had, because he did not repent, had already heaped up all this evil and wickedness that eventually came toppling down on him. And that's no different from anyone else today, that the Lord's given time to repent and chooses to not do it. David didn't raise his hand against the Lord's anointed. He didn't act as judge. He didn't prevent Saul from having time to repent and turn to the Lord. Because again, as we said, the Lord takes no pleasure in the wicked perishing. So, You may ask, John, how does that pertain to us? Well, I would encourage you, with everything that the Lord is doing and moving in this nation, in your nation, to be okay with giving, if you will, the Lord time and not trying to step into that place. David knew that if he had stepped over into that place and acted as judge, jury, executioner for Saul, And this is how it pertains to us. This is key. So I need everyone to understand this. If we are willing to do that to someone else, towards someone else, then doesn't another individual have the same right, legal and binding right, to make that same inquiry towards you? A whole different mindset, if we look at the Lord's Prayer, is let's understand what we can ask for. And you see this throughout the life of David and in the Psalms. We can ask for deliverance from oppression and the oppressor, but not decide their fate. The Lord asks us to 
Well, to ask for justice. We can ask for deliverance. We can ask for vindication. We can ask for protection, provision, healing, salvation, freedom, and a whole host of other things that all belong to us. That's our rights as part of the covenant and as covenant people in the Lord, as citizens of God's kingdom. But we have no right to remove someone else or to cut short their chance and the opportunity the Lord has given them to turn to the Lord and to repent. Now, it's easy to, to and carnally minded to look through the scripture and look at all the things the Lord did and say, oh, well, the Lord moved over here and he wiped them all out. Well, I will tell you one, that that's the Lord's prerogative. He is the righteous judge. But also, that's not what we're to ask for. We should not be going through the scriptures and it's easy to look through them and go, well, that's the outcome. And then to begin to pray towards an outcome. Sometimes we confuse or mix up what we can ask the Lord for because we see that outcome in the scripture, but not realize or not realizing that we are placing ourselves in the judgment seat and that belongs to the Lord only. He's the righteous judge. And what we should do instead is simply ask the Lord for help. Ask the Lord to help us persevere and to move forward. David also says in Scripture that he, he would have fallen, he would have failed if it wasn't for the Lord. There is a way in which we should carry and conduct ourselves as believers. Now, with that, we don't have to be accepting of the things that are happening. As we just said, we can ask and seek the Lord for justice and deliverance and vindication, protection, all those things. We don't have to accept the actions of the wicked. But we should ask the Lord what he wants us to say about it. Just like in our pattern example, Jesus. He's our Lord and Savior. He is the Christ. And he said, I only say what the Father says. He's given me a command as which I, what I should say and speak. And instead of looking at all these, you could say awesome, as in the magnitude of things, these events we read about in Scripture, and the ground opening up and, and all this, these similar style events, or fire being called down, is the Lord asking you to say those things or to do those things? Or is that just because we read about it? Sometimes the Lord will just say, hey, ask me to bring it to nothing. For it to not even be an event. We, like our Lord and Savior, who are being conformed to the image of Jesus the Christ, should be, who is our pattern example, should be carrying, conducting ourselves in the same way that he did. Asking the Lord what he wants us to say and to do concerning the situation.
And let's also understand that our Lord is long-suffering, because again, He wills that none should perish. Now, we may not like something, the actions or the behaviors of an individual or group of individuals, but like our Lord and Savior, we should also desire that none perish, but that they come to a place of repentance, that they be given every opportunity that the Lord has desired in order to repent, in order to turn to Him before their time. So I want to leave you with that, and I want to encourage you to just press into the Lord, to strengthen yourself in Him and to press on to be gracious and long-suffering out of love, first for the Lord, but then also for His people, His creation. And I'd like to thank each and every one of you, everyone, especially the listeners of this show, but those that stand for righteousness and justice here in the earth and in your life. I love you. God bless you. Have a wonderful evening.